You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, jargonistic protagonists, deuterogonists, and tritagonists. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 256. And of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your flat-footed, flat-fished, riding in flat tops with flat screens while flatulating flattery. I'm Colin. And I'm Chris. We got a really jam-packed show today. Lots of quizzes, lots of segments. So, without further ado, let's jump into our first general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hotshot! Ooh, here, uh, deep in the box, I got two random uh, Trivial Pursuit-ish trivial pursuit ish cards. You guys have your barnyard buzzers. Let's answer some random questions. Here we go. Let's do this first card. This is Trivial Pursuit. Genus for Blue Edge for Peoples and Places. What industrial powers join South Korea and Taiwan as the four dragons on the Pacific Rim? Oh, so name two places. Right. Okay. It was joined. Okay. Oh, Chris. <laughs> um, Japan? Incorrect. And, oh, really? Oh. Was... All right, and I will step aside. So there's four dragons of the Pacific Rim. One of them is Taiwan. Another one is South Korea. What are the other two? And one of them is not Japan. The first thing that came to my mind was like, but was India. But that doesn't fit the criteria here. Yeah. They are. Okay. Hong Kong okay. and Hong Singapore. Kong. Uh, okay, Singapore. yeah. Pink Wedge for Arts and Entertainment. Whoa, what LSD pioneer was Winona Ryder's godfather? <laughs> I mean, I can only name one. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it. Colin, please. It, it must be Timothy Leary. Correct, it is okay. Timothy Leary. <laughs> I, I did not know that. There we go. Yellow Edge for history. What fundamentalist Lebanese Shiite outfit has a name meaning party of Allah? Oh, Colin. Is that Hezbollah? Correct. Ah, uh, okay. Correct. Wow. Uh, purple Wedge for science and nature. What two words describe things floating on the sea and things thrown overboard? <laughs> <laughs> Chris. Uh, flotsam and jetsam. Ursula's eels. Eels. Yeah. Green Wedge for sports and leisure. What brand introduced microwave popcorn in 1976? Hmm. Could be a Mm -hmm. bunch of names. Chris, go ahead. Yeah, it could be. I'm going to say Orville Redenbacher. Yeah. You are correct. All right. Good, good. Mr. Orville Redenbacher. I do vaguely remember that as being the originator of microwave popcorn. Oh, you know what? I was thinking Jiffy Pop. But that's on the stove. That's yeah. stovetop. Yeah. yeah, don't put that in the microwave. <laughs> it's, all, it's all metal. Yeah, again. <laughs> again. Orange wedge for wild card. What swimwear sensation did the Vatican newspaper call the ultimate shame in 1964? Holy oh, okay. moly. <laughs> all right. All right, Chris. Uh, the bikini. Incorrect. Okay. Huh. All right. Oh, okay. This is strange. The, the banana hammock. They want the topless bathing suit. Oh. Oh, oh gosh. Is okay. it like for men? 
I assume not. I assume they I mean no. Like women. In 1964, because wow. you know how like men wore. I mean, maybe that's like turn of the century. They wear those. <laughs> yeah. those. No, I right. I, I think no, in 64 yeah. we're talking. I don't think that I, I'm gonna. Yeah, they probably weren't as scandalized by the male nipple in 1964. So probably that's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. That's a little bit late. Even yeah. even at the Vatican. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Time for another card. This is our off-brand Forte trivia oh, card. God, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I can't wait for soaps. <laughs> Watch for soaps. <laughs> That's my Forte. Which soap opera takes place in Washington, D.C.? I've never heard of this before. Oh, man. oh my gosh. It has okay. a good name. And this is oh. like what what era is this set from, right? I mean, like, is there like a copyright date on this card? So you can get <laughs> no. a sense of like oh, when they were. Man. I mean, it feels like it's from like the eighties, basically. Like that's when Forte was. That was its only kind of day in the sun. So it's mm-hmm. something that would have been airing probably in the nineteen eighties. I don't know. I mean, I, it's not. I don't. It's not Dynasty. So I mean, I really have no idea. It is Capital. Capital. Oh, okay. Like okay. just All like right. Dynasty, one word, capital. Nice. Sure. All right. <laughs> Pink Wedge for cartoons. What 60s show starred five Marvel comic book heroes? Incredible Hulk, Iron Man, Submariner, Captain America, and Mighty Thor. Chris. Oh, uh, <laughs> I was about to say uh, for some reason I was about to say Justice League, but that's not at this DC. Um <laughs> There was, yes, yeah, so there was a show, uh, Super Friends. Close call. Oh. <sighs> I, I was going to say something very close to that. I don't have a confident answer. It is Marvel Super Dash Heroes. Ah, uh, okay. Oh, okay. Of course. Wow. Marvel yeah. Super Just Dash Marvel Heroes. Marvel Super Heroes. Don't, don't overthink it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It, was, it was a simpler time back then. They just kind of named things Capital. Okay. Right. Marvel superheroes. Okay. All right. (laughs) Yellow Wedge for Space. Which musical gave us the song Good Morning Starshine? Oh. Colin? Um, I'm pretty sure that's hair. Hair. Brown Wedge for Pears. What Hollywood star and his girlfriend were involved in the first palimony suit? Ooh. Interesting. For clarification, palimony is... Party of a non-marital relationship. Got it, got it. Okay, so palimony, alimony... But you weren't married. Got it. Right. Okay, good question. All right, Broadway star and their Sorry, partner? Sorry, Hollywood star Hollywood and his girlfriend. star and his girlfriend. Were involved in the hmm. first palimony suit. Hmm. I don't know any of these names, so I'm just going <laughs> to say it. Okay. All right. Okay. Lee Marvin. Okay. Okay. And Michelle Triola. Okay. I mean, I definitely know Lee Marvin. I don't know Michelle Triola. Wow. That was that was definitely like a phrase back in the eighties that you don't really hear about that anymore. Because now it's just like now it's just like child support, whether you were married or not. Alimony. (laughs) That's all I ever hear. All I ever hear the weird ass song. Green Wedge for ads. What is, quote, the sensuous food? (laughs) (sighs) Big S, big F, big T. Um, Okay. The sensuous um, food. Ready whip. (laughs) 
incorrect. Oh, I see. It, it, it's like an advertising <laughs> slogan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. The sensual. Oh, God, Colin. <laughs> the cheese. This. <laughs> <laughs> do you find cheese sensuous look what happens in my kitchen is between me and my he, cheese and his and his industrial sized jar of nacho cheese from Costco. <laughs> but um, the sensuous food the sensuous food okay this is probably the rise in popularity of this produce oh oh, produce. oh strawberries avocado no avocado really uh, all did right, we good. learn? Do we learn? Good that's hint, like Karen. the name for scrotum. Uh, it, it's derived from the same root word for testicle. Yes. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. The sensuous food. <laughs> California avocado. So you know it's like part of the California Avocado Growers Board or whatever. Right. Their, right. Right. Their marketing campaign. All right. Uh, last question on this card: uh, Orange wedge for fair play. What country withdrew from NATO in 1966? Oh. Not getting any hints, huh? From NATO. Okay, so it. Go for it. Oh, oh, oh. Colin. Uh, 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 Czechoslovakia. Incorrect. It still is a existing country. Oh, okay. Chris. All right. Cuba. France. 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 Mm-hmm. France okay. withdrew. France. Wow. Okay. Hmm. All right. Good job, brains. Today's episode, Colin, you're our topic picker. It's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this one. A lot of times, you know, these topics are just big, grand, you know, philosophical, metaphysical uh, <laughs> ideas and you know, emotions or, you know, grand human endeavors. And then other times these topics that we do are things that are adjective. And that's a really, <laughs> honestly, to be very honest with you, dear listener, it's a very fruitful avenue of uh, topic hunting. So uh, this is one of those, uh, you know, I'd say it came to me in a flash, uh, but really it came to me uh, while looking uh, at some uh, food on my desk after my camping trip. We were going to talk about flat <laughs> things, things that are flat, inspired by the word flat, however you choose to go with that direction. Looking for some flat sauce, baby. <laughs> the famous Weird Albert. What should I call? Uh, should I call that episode? <laughs> flat stuff. Yeah. Hey there, flat stuff. <laughs> or go go into flat How about, land, uh, in, or yeah, in yeah. nothing, no time flat, or mm, something like that. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're going flat out or going flat know. out. So this week we're going flat out. <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> Gotta have some flaps up in there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to ask you guys a snap question here. You know I love to do this on the show. All right, no tricks or jokes here, no right or wrong. I just want you to just give me your first okay. gut answer. Uh, and we'll have, you go, we'll have you guys go at the same time here so you don't influence each other, okay? All right, so we're going to go one, two, three here. All right, okay. I want you to tell me, what is the flattest... U.S. state. 
One, two, three, go. Utah. For me, it was always like uh, coming into this uh, show, I would have said Kansas. I was I was trying to answer the question of just as a starting point. Hey, what is the flattest state? And right off the bat, I ran into the question of, well, how are you defining flattest? I would say there are many valid ways to answer this question. So here here are a few of the ways to answer this question that I count. One one way is average flatness. Okay. Like you take every, you know, surveyable point in the state, every nook and cranny, natural point, you add that all together and you divide by the number of points. Okay, that's that's one way to do it, average height. Another way that I found that I thought was very interesting is looking at the delta between a state's highest natural point and its lowest natural point. Now, of course, you're going to have some outliers here, right? You know, it may or may not represent the state. Um, But I thought this was very uh, a fun way of looking at it because it's it's concrete and pretty easily measurable a state's highest and lowest point. Right. The least sloped. Exactly. Great. Mm-hmm. So I stumbled up, I stumbled upon an article here from uh, National Geographic. So I'm just going to uh, read just some short passages here from this article by author uh, Brian Clark Howard. The flattest U.S. states? Not what you think. Kansas <laughs> is not the flattest state despite common perceptions. I thought this article was like talking straight to me. I'm like, yes, I did think Kansas was the, the flattest state. worked, yeah. So the article goes on to describe uh, uh, a a professor named Jerry Dobson. Jerry Dobson lives in Kansas. He is the professor, or it was anyway, professor of geography at the University of Kansas in Lawrence and also the president of the American Geographical Society. Okay. So so he moved to Kansas in 2001. Almost immediately, it sounds like, started getting questions from everyone. It's like, hey, how's life in the flat state? Or, oh, he's super flat, right? And he said, you know... (laughs) He kind of he kind of noticed that he didn't really feel it was as flat as he was led to believe, essentially. So Dobson and uh, one of his PhD students at the time named Joshua Campbell, uh, who apparently now works for the State Department as a geographer, uh, oh. they 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 devised and published a study called the flatness of U.S. states. <laughs> uh, among the things they did is they listed the top five flattest states. Kansas was not in the top five. Wow. Uh, we'll get to we'll get to what we're maybe in the top five here in a little bit. Um, how do you measure flatness, right? So this was their like their real core question is what does that mean, Karen? Like what does it mean to say a state is flat? So here's here's what they ended up with. So this is a quote. Flatness is how you perceive the ground as you're walking around, driving on it, standing on it. It's what people are talking about when they come here and say, this part of Kansas isn't as flat as I expected it to be. With the help of a software program, and they they put together uh, an algorithm that basically would simulate a person standing on one spot, turning in a circle 360 degrees, looking at the horizon, and Mm. then in their judgment, is this flat, not flat, flatter, flattest, okay? Okay. So it's essentially like a vibes-based scientific study. Well put. Converting vibes into data. Yeah, I'm perfectly put. Because ultimately, that's what matters, right? It's like, how flat does it feel to you? Like, how flat do you perceive it to be? 
That's right. Because doing just, you know, average flatness doesn't really answer the question. So they, they took this program, this algorithm, and they basically simulated the experience of standing in a spot, turning around and saying, hmm, how flat is this over every spot? for the contiguous 48 states. Uh, they, they ruled out Alaska and Hawaii right off the bat because they knew that neither one of Alaska or Hawaii is in fact very flat at all and not in the running. Apparently it had to run for six days to process all this data. Whoa. And they came up with an overall flatness rating for all 48 uh, contiguous states. Uh, I will tell you that Kansas came in at seventh on their list by their methodology. That's pretty good. The least flat state ended up being West Virginia, which they were surprised. They they would have thought, you know, maybe somewhere out in in the Rockies or, you know. So what they're saying is West Virginia, mountain mama. Take me home, Jerry Dobson. All right. So with that as a little bit of background here, I've put together a short quiz for you to hear involving questions about flatness of our great United States of America here. This will be a write down quiz once you get out your uh, paper and writing implements. Uh, I have a question here about the state. It was, in fact, determined to be the flattest by, by this study. It also is the state that is the flattest if you go by the uh, measure of lowest to highest point with a total height differential of only 345 feet from lowest point to highest point. Wow. This state, which borders the Atlantic Ocean, is the flattest state in the U.S. Atlantic Ocean. I didn't know it was going to be on that side. Mm. I'm trying to give you guys a little something to work with here. Not mountainous. Ooh, 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 ooh. Total height difference of only 345 feet. Okay. All right. Got your answer ready? Let's see them. Answer's up. Karen says Rhode Island. Chris Uh says Rhode Island. That is incorrect. It is actually Florida. No! Florida. Uh, Florida. The flattest by the experiential measure I outlined earlier. Uh, and also, yeah, Br- Britain Hill apparently is the highest point. 345 feet. I mean, you could wow. you could you could huff your way off it. <laughs> yeah. That's nuts. Okay. Standing proudly at 448 feet, the Ebrite Azimuth is the highest natural spot in this eastern state. While this state may not boast towering vistas, it can lay claim to more registered corporations than any other state. okay. All right. That seems to have been the key there for both of you. You have both put the correct answer, which is Delaware. Mm -hmm. Yes. Why do so many companies start there? It really comes down to Delaware has decided to long ago and just continually double down on extremely business uh, friendly corporation law. It's just it makes it very, very easy uh, compared to any other state. Yeah. More more than half. Of all oh. U.S. publicly traded companies are incorporated in Delaware. Uh, I read 68% of the Fortune 500 are incorporated in Delaware. 
there are more business entities incorporated in Delaware than there are people who live in Delaware. Get yes. out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It just uh, just over a million state residents in the uh, 2020 census, and it sounds like approaching two million <laughs> business uh, registrations there yearly. Wow. Yeah. Jeremoth Hill. It is the fourth lowest state high point in the U.S. at just <laughs> a, just over 800 feet tall. Wow. Um, what state is home to Jeremoth Hill? which is used for astronomical observations by students at Brown University. Oh. I don't think I know where that university is, so I will simply write something here. Karen, smiling. Trying to get to it. Uh-huh. Karen has either written down oh. or simply picked back up her uh, post-it that says Rhode Island, which is the mm-hmm. correct answer. Yes, Brown University in Rhode Island. Uh, yeah, Jeremoth Hill, apparently, uh, if you, uh, you can head out there and do some night sky observations there. All right. What state has the highest, lowest elevation? All right. In other words, oh. if you consider a state's got okay. a, a floor and a ceiling, mm. what state has the highest floor? All right, answers uh, up. Answers up. You have both written the correct answer, Colorado. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, nice. Co- Colorado's lowest point is just over thirty three hundred feet, what? which is which is higher than uh, like a third of all these of all the yeah, states total. Yeah, the it's high state. <laughs> yeah, it's it's up there. It's up there. All right, last question. Two possible points here. There are two states in the U.S where the lowest elevation is negative. In other words, it is oh. below sea level. Yeah. For one point okay. each, what are the two states where the natural point of lowest elevation is oh, below, below sea level? This is knowable. I know one. I'll even give some extra style points if you can tell me what those specific points are. So we'll see oh, what we got here. Uh, no, I cannot. No, but, I, all uh, right. I refuse. Two states. Write down. Two states. Okay. Okay. All right. Answers up. Chris has written Louisiana and Florida. Karen has written Louisiana and Utah. You both get one point. Louisiana okay. is indeed one of those states okay. where, uh, in fact, it is in the great city of New Orleans. I, I've read it's either seven feet or eight feet below sea level. So okay. somewhere a somewhere person. right around there. A person. An NBA player. Yes. A, a, a very, very tall person below okay. sea level. The other state uh, where the lowest natural point is below sea level is our own great state of California in death Valley, specifically the, in Badwater basin in death Valley is uh, about 280 feet below sea level. Mm. That's a lot. That's I mean, that's a significant amount below sea level. Yeah. That's more than like a negative LeBron. (laughs) that's many negative lebrons it's many negative Mm -hmm. darth vaders yeah and of course the other like we we've definitely gotten this question at pub quiz before a little side trivia here for you of course the Mm -hmm. the fun fact of california that the lowest point is very 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 close to the highest point in the state uh mount whitney at fourteen thousand five hundred feet and change and in fact they are close enough you can if you so desire you can hike you can complete the 135 mile hike uh, from the lowest point in the state to the highest point in the state. A lot of people do it and we'll, you know, brag about it. 
All right, well done. You guys you guys know your flat states. You yeah, know not your, bad, not bad. your bumpy states. All right, my turn. Well, Colin, I claimed it. And when you said the topic is flat, I claimed it. I want to do the flat food quiz. Yeah. yeah. In our life, uh, in our diets, there are a lot of foods that are flat, sometimes uh, natural, sometimes processed. And so this is a quiz about kind of the greatest <laughs> hits of flat foods. <laughs> you may ask, Karen, how are you qualifying foods as flat? Mm. What is flat in foods? And I'll tell you, I have a very sophisticated system. There was a book, a novel, <laughs> published in 1990s uh, by the great Gen X writer Douglas Copeland, and he wrote a book called Microsurfs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Microsurfs, big hit back then in the 90s. Um, it's kind of, how do I describe it? You know, Silicon Valley, the show on HBO. Yeah, this is like yeah. that in a book, but about the early tech scene. Yeah. Like about early 90s tech working at Microsoft, uh, moving to Silicon Valley. The, the, there is a section of the story. They're in the offices coding and they have to eat. They're sending flat foods <laughs> under a door. And and so that is my sophisticated metric. I like it. This is a buzz in quiz. Here we go. In 1999, what brand name food partnered with Nintendo to have game tips printed on its wax paper strips. I need the brand name, please. Oh, Chris. Oh, okay. I was uh, Fruit Roll Ups. Incorrect. Incorrect. Let me read that again. Okay. In 1999, what uh-huh. brand name food partnered with Nintendo to have game tips printed on its wax paper strips? Is it? Is it fruit by the foot? Fruit oh, by the just foot. Another, another fruit roll. Not fruit roll okay. up, which is a sheet. <laughs> yeah. All right, here we go. Next question. The Burkle. The Burkle. Not the Birkin, but the Burkle. It's the brand name for the deli slicer machine. Oh. Okay. A Burkle is the brand invented in 1898 by W.A. Van Burkle. In what city, the second largest city in the Netherlands? <laughs> second largest city in the Netherlands. You can probably name number one. I mean, I would hope so. Mm-hmm. What's number two? Okay. It's going to be somewhere that we've heard of. Yes. Um, uh, well, it's not Amsterdam. Um, that's number one. It's not. That's, that's number one. That's number one. Well, call it. Oh. Is it Rotterdam? It is Rotterdam. Oh, nice. Rotterdam. Okay. Good well one. Done. Good recall. Deli Slicer was not well received when, huh. when it first was unveiled really? and, and presented. Yeah, because the, the butchers are kind of like, what, you're trying to replace me with a machine? <laughs> you know, right, and right, they're, right. they're kind of hesitant. And <laughs> W.A. Van Burgle's like, no, 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 no. This will make it easier. Can you imagine slicing meat without an automated machine oh like they gosh. were doing it with like yeah. a knife yeah yeah and your slices aren't consistent you just have to frame it as look at how much more meat you can move per hour here exactly right? that's exactly yeah. they're like you can make so much more money mm. with mm. this let's stay in the netherlands let's stay in the netherlands the dutch people of netherlands eat a special breakfast item mm. called coco's brood K-O-K-O-S, Coco's uh-huh. Brood, B-R-O-O-D. Uh-huh. Um, Coco's Brood is a, is a solid sandwich topping in the shape of individual deli slices. Huh. 
made up of what? Uh, Colin. Chocolate. Incorrect. Coco's brew. I mean, the brood sounds like bread. Bread. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Coconut? It's coconut. Oh. This is the most wonderful thing I've, I've, I've come across <laughs> in a really long time. Imagine like craft cheese singles, right? Uh-huh. Individual sliced things. It's sliced coconut cream. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's made yeah. out of a compressed coconut meat, sugar, uh. flavoring, and you just pop it on like a slice on your sandwich. And now you have like a delicious coconut sandwich. Yeah. Wow. I would try that. <laughs> Sometimes they flavor it and they put like pink, uh, a dye in it. So it almost looks like meat. <laughs> Is it is it meant to be a meat substitute or no, is it no, just no, meant no. to be its own thing? Okay, all right. It's sweet. Okay. It's sweet. Okay. It's sweet. Okay. Yeah, Coco's brood. I think it's absolutely wonderful. Speaking of craft singles, did you know <laughs> in May 2023, craft singles, the sliced American cheese product, yes, uh, got a major redesign. Huh? They reconfigured the individual wrappers of the cheese slices, but they also have new packaging on the front. But something is missing Mm. in the new packaging. You might remember there used to be a picture of something. Hmm. Okay. But what long time imagery did Kraft remove in its new packaging? I I am not ashamed to admit we buy and use Kraft singles at our house. Nothing melts like that on a cheeseburger. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or a grilled cheese sandwich. I'm going to. Yeah, of course. I I haven't noticed. Is it the pitcher of milk? It is. That's what I was going to say is yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. Like a glass of milk or something like that, right? Yeah. They... Throughout the years, we have seen a, a glass of milk or like mm. a pitcher pouring milk. Uh-huh. That milk is gone. Oh, no way. Is there, is there a scandal? It depends on who, who you talk to. They're spinning it different <laughs> ways. Um, mm. It's replaced now with, with text that says made with real dairy. Okay. Uh, it was misleading people being like, oh, one slice of Amer- of Kraft yeah, has yeah. five ounces of milk or like. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. I swear that I remember they used to even run a commercial for Kraft Singles and it was like they would start pour- like yes! pouring a pitcher of milk and then the milk would take the shape of a slice of cheese. <laughs> it, like, it could not have been more over what they were trying to establish. Yes! Yeah, your- yeah, yeah. Like, we swear to God, this is actually made with milk. There is some non-zero amount of dairy in this, yeah. Right. I'm going to look in my refrigerator as soon as we're done recording here, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you have one of the old ones, put it in the freezer, keep it for 20 years. (laughs) Put it on eBay. Yeah, Yeah. eat one slice of it every year like like an anniversary cake. (laughs) Uh, we, We come across this in trivia, classic trivia fact. Japanese food, sashimi, mm-hmm. mostly sliced raw fish, can be sliced mm-hmm. other things, but mostly, most of the time, raw fish. Uh, sashimi literally translates to pierced body, pierced yes. body. Love sashimi. Tell me, what is the Japanese name of the pickled ginger side dish usually served with sashimi? Sometimes mm-hmm. it's pink. Right, right, right. Yeah. Sometimes it's beige. Yeah, oh. it's always delicious. What is it called? Chris Kohler. You'd native. think that I would know the name of the side dish, but Our, I don't yeah. think I do. Is that interesting? We know wasabi. Like, we it? know sashimi. Oh, right, we know right, sushi. Right. It is not Gary. <laughs> G-A-R-I-Gotti. Oh, oh, I did not know that. Okay. That's not ringing a bell. 
that's a good crossword. I can too. eat. I I I can eat so much sushi ginger. It's so delicious. No, really, I never ginger. touch it. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm I'm the guy who's always like, oh, are you gonna eat that? Can I have that? Yeah. All right. Chances are you've eaten pizza before. Chances <laughs> are you've eaten pepperoni pizza before. In the world of pepperonis, there is the flat pepperoni. Yeah. And there is what is called the cup and char yes. pepperoni. Yep. This yes. is uh, when you get pizza, the cup and char pepperoni curls up into a cup, sometimes holding its own grease in the cup. <laughs> That's what you want. <laughs> That's Not how you know it's little, working. Those little shot glasses of grease on the pizza. <laughs> yep. Uh, the flat pepperoni is missing something that cup pepperoni has mm. that causes them to curl. What is uh. it? What are they missing? Chris. I believe it's the, the natural uh, casing. Correct. As the pepperoni cooks, the casing and the meat inside, they shrink in different rates. Right. right so right. which causes the, 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 the cup, the curling mm. of the cup. Flat pepperoni has no casing. And so they would form the, the, the pepperoni and then it's made out of a special casing when they extrude it out and they just take it off. Ah. You said cup and char. What does the char mean? What does well, that the char, mean? it's because it, the, the edges of the pepperoni sort of raise up, oh, you know, and so gets you'll get the little, the char. Oh, oh the okay. Edges the oh, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. It's real industry speak, Colin. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question. Injera. Injera. I-N-J-E-R-A. Injera is a spongy flatbread that's similar to a French crepe uh, or an Indian dosa. Injera is a big part of which nation's cuisine located in the Horn of Africa? That was Colin. I think that's Ethiopia, yeah? Correct. I would accept uh, Eritrea as well okay. uh, in All that right. region. Last question. People were completely shocked and mildly disgusted when it was revealed that the limited edition Mr. E flavor, it's mystery, but it's mm. a person named Mr. <laughs> letter E, Mr. Uh-huh. E. People were completely shocked and mildly disgusted when it was revealed <laughs> that the limited edition Mr. E flavor of what Kellogg breakfast flat food was not only savory, but it was everything bagel flavored. <laughs> Colin. Is it? Pop tarts? It is pop tarts. (laughs) Everything bagel pop with like cream cheese and stuff in there. Do you just do you bite into it and like poppy seeds and onion bits? Garlic and out? Like what would that even be? That's disgusting. (laughs) This is a marketing campaign, right? Like a mystery man called Mr. E, but when I say man, he's really like a pop tart. In glasses and a mustache. <laughs> An anthropomorphized Pop-Tart. Sneaked into the lab or the factory and replaced the Pop-Tarts with his favorite flavor. And you don't know what flavor it is. You just got to buy the box and try it. Oh, so you don't even know. Like, you open You don't it. know. Ah! <laughs> so basically, you're like, biting you're, it. You take it out and you, you cook it and then, oh, no. Okay, I mean, go on. But like, oh, no. This is, no. <laughs> There's nothing that tells you what it could be until right. you- Heat it up and you bite it or open it, and inside is a creamy, cream cheesy kind of filling that has everything 
bagel <laughs> flavoring in. There's no bits. There's no like mm. poppy seed and bits. That's it's like worse. it's so <laughs> bad because like to yeah. expect sweetness and to get everything bagel flavor it would be disgusting it's toasty like do you guys smell onion i'm just waiting for my yeah right yeah oh no (laughs) i'd be like you got me kellogg's you got me (laughs) fake shelf stable cream cheese flavored gel with onions and garlic and ah that's what the e stands for everything mr everything Uh, mr everything bagel i just got that i just got that i mean i guess it could be worse could have been like mr eggplant Mm. Uh, right 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 yep Mm -hmm. well that's my five food quiz thank you everybody (laughs) all right let's take a quick break and we'll be right back Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. You're listening to Good Job Brain. Smooth puzzles. Smart trivia. Good Job Brain. As soon as we decided on like the topic for this episode, I had just watched a, a YouTube video of this YouTube channel that I've been following that I don't know if I've mentioned before, but it was a big, it was a pandemic breakout YouTube hit that is still going going on and I'm still watching it. It's called a Rate My Takeaway. Oh. It is a British guy, average guy, who goes around to like takeout places in the UK and he orders food and then he sets up a table and a chair right out, <laughs> outdoors, outside the restaurant, like on the street. And then he has them just bring the takeaway food like to his table. <laughs> right outside. Very unassuming. It's just the guy, you know, he's not a professional, you know, food guy in any way, shape, or form. It's all extremely positive. It's very funny. Oh. And the thing for me is that since it's in Britain, it's everything is just slightly different than American food. It, <laughs> it, there's so many things there. The munch box, which is like, like imagine a large pizza box. <laughs> But they don't fill it with pizza. They fill it with multiple burgers and sandwiches and, you know, (laughs) French fries and onion rings and chicken wings and whatever. And you open it up and it's this like unhealthy food cornucopia spilling out of (laughs) the most recent episode. He goes to a place that sells as takeout food. Um, The most bizarre thing I've ever seen sold as takeout food was a tomahawk steak. Okay, um, that's big. 
<laughs> so it's a tomahawk steak is a is a ribeye, right? A bone-in ribeye steak, but they leave the big rib bone, the cow's rib bone on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then it's covered in gold leaf. <laughs> <laughs> They place, they take a big sheet of gold leaf and they put it on this tomahawk steak. Oh my god! And you eat, you eat this. They're not gift wrapping the tomahawk steak in, no. in gold leaf. It's just kind of artfully resting on top. It's like, a, it looks like a golden, it looks really stupid. Like it doesn't even look artistic. Like you look at it in the video and it's just, they took gold leaf and they just threw it onto a perfectly good steak. The steak itself looks like it's really well seared and everything on the underside, but the top is just covered haphazardly in like gold leaf. It's a uh, 45 British pounds to buy this thing right now. I think it was inspired. I'd have to imagine that it was inspired by the chef colloquially known as a salt bay. Right, right. The restaurant Nusret in mm-hmm. uh, in, in in London. I think he may have done this first. I, I it, but he does the steak with the gold leaf on it. But he charges fifteen hundred oh, British pounds <laughs> for his. So this was only forty five pounds. But it's like. Seeing it, seeing the gold leaf on a steak, not in a fancy restaurant, but at a very like unassuming like yeah. takeout restaurant, we've done it. We've hit peak gold food, and now we're on the way down, right? So the fir- and it got me thinking about the use of gold leaf on foods. So the pretty sure the first one that I heard about, maybe you heard about Ooh. this in like 2005. It was at a restaurant, um, a dessert-heavy restaurant, yes, not entirely New York uh, City. Uh, called New York City, called Serendipity Three. Is the name of the restaurant. And in 2005, they unveiled the Golden Opulence Sunday to celebrate their 50th anniversary. And it was a thousand-dollar ice cream sundae that had like Tahitian vanilla bean ice cream, rare chocolate, you know, chocolate sauce made out of like some of the world's most expensive, you know, type of chocolate. It had caviar on it, a dessert caviar. And then everything was covered in gold leaf, right? And then that was the sort of, you know, that was the golden opulent Sunday. It came in a special goblet. It did. So like, there, a, like got, a crystal goblet. You got a you got a $350 like crystal goblet to, to take home. <laughs> So it's that you're still paying a thousand dollars for it. So I mean, you know, you're if it makes you feel better to think you're only paying six hundred and fifty dollars for the for the ice cream, you know. Um, so yeah. So and then you got this goblet. What are you going to do? Take it home, put it next to your, <laughs> your goblet to your rack. plastic cups, and the, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Universal Studios, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your three foot long plastic, you know, beer yep. from Mardi Gras, right. <laughs> But have ice cream. Yeah, I'll, I guess I'll use my my ice cream goblet. <laughs> my you know, goblet. And you're like scooping Ben and Jerry's into it. So, um, and, but anyway, that was 2005, and it's like you heard about it in the news, and but yeah. then nobody else, you know, people sort of kind of started doing it a little bit, but like really in the age of social media, Instagram, mm. you know, now you've probably seen many, many different sort of ridiculous, over the top menu yeah. items that sell yeah. for like. Four figures, if not five figures. And what all of them will always have in common is they will incorporate gold leaf. Yeah. yeah. So you'd think that the gold as the most striking element of these dishes, you would think that like that was what contributed to them being like a thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're covered in gold, you know, <laughs> and that's the thing that's the, that jumps out the most. But really, you know, the gold leaf is often the cheapest 
thing <laughs> on one of these dishes. I So I looked, I'm like, okay, how do I get gold leaf? Let me go to Amazon, gold leaf. Yeah, there's like a booklet of sheets of edible gold leaf on Amazon for $6.99 no. on, on sale. <laughs> and really the reason for this is all down to the fact that uh, the gold is extremely malleable. It is the extreme malleability of gold. So the definition of malleability in chemistry is, you know, able to hit it with a mallet, right? Like the ability, (laughs) the ability of a, the ability of a substance to deform when subject to compressive stress. So like when you whap something with compressive, you know, when you compress it down. Right, right. The malleability is the ability of that substance to deform, but not crack so a a a metal for example that is not very malleable is titanium if you have a titanium ring and you put it on a hard surface and you hit it with a hammer you'll crack your titanium ring because it is brittle then this comes down to essentially the arrangements of the the atoms basically the way that the gold atoms are arranged and you know molecules gold if you hit gold with a hammer you will not crack it open you will just squish it and of all the metals, gold is absolutely squishiest. most malleable. It's the squishiest metal. That's why we can have gold leaf. Because you can take one gram of gold, which is the weight of a paper clip. So one paper clip's worth of, of gold. Okay. Very, very little amount of gold. And you can smash that into one square meter of gold leaf no that's so big like just imagine a little paper clip and then imagine that becoming one square meter that's incredible that's really incredible and so a gram of gold is to you know today worth about 60 dollars so you can make a ton of gold leaf out of $60. And then you really only need like maybe like less than a dollar's worth of it to put on your ice cream sundae, as it were. (laughs) Um, How thin is that? Once you make gold leaf, you can get it to as thin as four millionths of an inch. uh, I can't even even comprehend how thin that is. 0.1 micrometer. Wow. Wow. Maybe it's hard to wrap your head about that. Let's let's put it this way. If you're having trouble with that, you can see light through it at that point. <laughs> if you mishandle gold leaf, if I ordered the gold leaf off of Amazon and I got the sheet of... It's like fruit roll-ups, basically. <laughs> they have a sheet of, of paper and then the gold leaf is sitting on the paper. Yeah, you have yeah. to very carefully Peel it, you know, yeah. lift, it, lift it off and put it on whatever you're putting it on. But it's like, if you just hold it in your hands and just start rubbing your fingers, it would just disappear. Like it would just float away. Um, Now we know that gold leaf exists and it's not that expensive. uh, If you're, you know, just using a little bit of it and you know, you could, people are putting it on food and stuff like that. Is it safe to eat? eat Now, if you start searching for gold leaf, you'll find two things. You'll find imitation gold leaf, which is very shiny, works like gold leaf, but is mostly made of copper. Um, okay. <laughs> don't eat that. Okay. But edible gold leaf, and, and generally, if it's if it's edible, the, what you're buying will be labeled edible. There is no special thing you have to do to gold leaf 
you know, to make it edible gold. It just has to be actual gold leaf because uh. edible gold leaf has to be pure 24 karat gold or slightly less pure than that, but really like, like 23 carats at the, at the lowest. It can't be an alloy with anything. Okay. It has to be pure gold. It has to be pure gold because, well, the malleability, right? That, so you can make gold leaf out of it, but because pure gold is inert. Does not. It's the same reason why, like, like gold doesn't tarnish because it doesn't mm-hmm. oxidize. It doesn't it doesn't react with things? And unlike some other metals, it doesn't react to your stomach acids or anything in your body. It's totally inert. It does nothing, and it just it just passes through you. It can't <laughs> get into your bloodstream. It just doesn't do anything. <laughs> that is why you can eat gold leaf, and, and I mean, gold leaf has so little gold in it that you'd have to eat like a a real lot of it before you got anything <laughs> substantial. Like, I'm not saying go eat a gold bar. Like, you're going to have trouble pooping that out, right? But it's like the gold leaf doesn't taste like anything, doesn't benefit you in any way because it's inert, Doesn't, but it also doesn't hurt you in any way. If you have a gold ring, it's probably not a 24-karat gold ring, and you wouldn't want that because, like, those will, like, melt in the melt. sun. And then, like, <laughs> People who buy, oh, I'm going to buy a platinum wedding band. It's like, well, if it's not alloyed with anything, it will deform. So that's why you have like a 14 or an 18 karat gold ring because they put in stronger metals. So it does not literally just start like deforming. So anyway, all this, all this is to say that everybody, every, you know, restaurant for, you know, across the world has now discovered like gold leaf food. If people are, if a random takeaway spot in Britain is just like <laughs> slapping it across a, a steak. Um, one of the things that I, that I remember seeing is a uh, gold, uh, chicken wings, <laughs> buffalo wings, totally covered in gold leaf, uh, gold chocolate bacon, gold macarons, a gold bagel, a bagel with cream cheese with gold leaf sprinkled over it, gold wrapped uh, sushi, uh, serendipity three does a, they do a gold uh, hot dog. Hot the hot dog, H A T E, hot dog with gold. And so here's the thing. So the dumb thing about this, and it's so dumb, is that as we now know, the gold that's in there is barely worth anything. anything. You don't have to spend anything. You get it. So if you're buying one of these thousand dollar gold hamburgers, whatever, <laughs> it's one of two situations. Either one, you're paying for the other ingredients because a lot of these use. A5 Wagyu, white truffles, caviar, you know, uh, take home the crystal goblet, you know, or or stuff like that. Either you're paying for that or, as I suspect is in the case of Salt Bay's 1,500-pound, you know, ribeye, you're just getting taken for a ride. Like <laughs> You're paying for Salt Bay. You're paying, you're paying for Salt Bay. You're paying for Salt Bay, but you can go to the restaurant and get a ribeye without the gold leaf over oh, it. But yeah. So, I mean, go spend that money on A5 Wagyu that's not covered in gold. Um, so I feel like we'll start seeing fewer and fewer of this as years go on because it's now kind of like we've we've kind of hit this this ridiculous point. But yeah, gold leaf, you can eat it. It's fine. And and you just poop it out. Yeah, poop's not gonna be gold. It's it's so negligible. There's barely anything there. It's so little gold. And there's so much poop. Tiniest, <laughs> tiniest bit of gold into a thin sheet of gold. So I'm not proud of the amount of uh, gold schlager that I may have drunk oh, yeah. at one point at a at a college party. But that was yep. the appeal of you know just to an it impressionable. Has real gold. Yeah, it's oh got God. it's floating right in there the tiny little yeah. flakes of gold how classy is that <laughs> and then later in the evening i'm puking gold <laughs> i mean it's yeah <laughs> yeah i'm so classy <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right 
flat, flat, flat. Let's take a detour. Uh, well, but we're already like on the subject of uh, pooping gold. Uh, let's take a detour, a back road, if you will. Uh, when thinking about flat, my first instinct is, oh, flatulence. <laughs> no. Flatulence is the more medical and proper term for farting, mm. for farts. Uh, the scientific study of this area of farting is called flatology. Aha. Flatology. Your farts are funny because it's as a funny sound. Every child can tell you that they are funny. And of course, throughout centuries, we as humans have developed a lot of colorful sayings and phrases and expressions describing farts. <laughs> I hear I have a quiz called Fart or Sports. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have some colorful, old-timey terms describing farts and some colorful and old-timey sport lingo. You have to tell me is a phrase I'm going to give you describing farts or describing something in sports. <laughs> right. And and then, then we'll go through and share some of the origins of, of these sayings. So a big warning and disclaimer, nothing in this quiz is like overly gross or explicit. These are classic sayings. They're documented somehow. It's I didn't, not like someone just made it on the spot. <laughs> this is a scholarly fart quiz. People. Yes, yes. This yeah. is a family friendly, you know, in the realm of fart humor. Right. So for example, here's my example. Win by a nose. <laughs> you win by a nose. Is mm. it sports or is it fart? It is. Sport. sport. <laughs> yes, it's a horse racing. The horse is uh, touching the finish line and one horse <laughs> is winning by a horse nose. Win yeah. by a nose. But it sounds <laughs> like fart. It does. It does. Yeah. They're probably they're probably farting a lot. If you think about horse races, you know what I mean? Probably something people don't talk about so much is that those horses are probably ripping them just constantly as they're, as they're running around the track at high speeds. I wonder if they poop while they run. I think they do. I did a raw dogs do. They, they, they're yeah, running yeah, yeah. and they're pooping at the same time. So you got to watch when where I you run. So I assume the horse does. <laughs> yeah. uh, or, you know, another colorful phrase is cut the cheese. Cut the cheese would be <laughs> farts. 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 All right. Farts so we'll take we'll <laughs> farts or sports. Let's take turns on this one. Let's take okay, turns. Okay. Chris, you're mm -hmm. up first. All right, here we go. Barn burner. Uh, <laughs> sport, sport. Yes, you're correct. Barn yeah. burner is a sports term, uh, usually describing something very exciting, very mm -hmm. dramatic, very over the top. Right. The origin of barn burner comes from an old Dutch story of a farmer uh, willing to set his barn on fire to get rid of rats. So that's the expression. You're ready to do something super dramatic. Uh, You're like going to escalate it. Like you can just get rid of the rats. No, no. I'm going to burn the whole barn down. Huh. Colin, your turn. All right. Air biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> I can confidently say that an air biscuit is a fart. You are correct. Now, I thought I thought 
thought it was gonna you were you were kind of like throwing a curveball there, and it was gonna be uh, like yeah. a, a in basketball, you know, when somebody kind of throws it and like you completely miss the basket. <laughs> air you know? biscuit. Oh yeah, it's an air biscuit. Air biscuit. <laughs> a 1990s kind of slang from the south. It's like you ate a biscuit, and now it's in the form of air. <laughs> we uh, among my circle of friends, like you wouldn't just talk about an air biscuit. You would ask. Who floated the air biscuit? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so beautiful. All right, Chris, now's your turn so for or sports. Go on. The Bronx cheer. That is a fart. That is a, um, that was what they, the whoopee cushions uh, used to have as their like logo. Like, emits a real quote unquote Bronx cheer. Bronx cheer is a, is a fart or a raspberry noise, fart noise you make with your mouth. All right. <laughs> Colin, your turn. Light the lamp. Light the lamp. Uh, I believe that's a sports term. I'm pretty sure that's a sports term. Like you, you, Do light- you know what sport? Oh man, what team is it when yeah, they would light the lamp when they win. It is hockey. Ah, There's the okay, the right. light by by the goal and every time every time the small oh. tiny puck goes into got a goal, it, got it. They run the light siren to tell of people, course. "Hey, you probably hey, didn't see hey, this tiny thing." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this tiny puck right. went in. Okay. <laughs> people oh, in the back. Okay. Got it. Woo. Uh Chris. Yes. Your phrase is Hurler on the ditch. <laughs> Hurler on the, on the on ditch. The ditch? Um, I mean, this sounds like a sport thing. I'm gonna go sports. Correct. It is the sport of hurling. Ah, okay. <laughs> there we are. Hurling, uh, one of the two national sport sporting games of Ireland. The other one being, do we know? Oh, Gaelic football. Gaelic football. Okay. Yes, hurling. Uh, it's kind of like um lacrosse. It's pre- It's a rough, <laughs> yeah. rough, rough sport. Yeah. Hurler on the ditch. Hurler on the ditch. <laughs> it means a person standing on the side of a hurling field. Uh, sometimes issuing instructions or comments or unwelcome suggestions. Oh, it's like actually driving armchair quarterback. Yeah. Oh, that's mm. funny. That's funny. Hurling on the ditch. If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? <laughs> Hurling on the ditch. <laughs> Just had to get it out of my head or else. Yeah, yeah. All right, Colin. Okay. What is a rouser? A rouser. Is a it a rouser. fart? Man. Or is it a... <sighs> rouser. A, could be a referee call? Yeah, boy. Could I mean, be like, a really fastball? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go sports on this one. I just I don't I just just a gut feeling. I, I don't know what it is. I'm gonna guess sports or rouser. R o u s e r means a loud fart. Uh-huh. <laughs> First appeared in 1713. Jonathan Swift. Hey, Jonathan Swift in his poem he described a rouser, which is a loud fart. All right, Chris, your last your last term, Chris is a backdoor cutter. <laughs> backdoor I mean, cutter. I'm I'm not going to overthink this and I'm just going to say fart and if it's not then we we got to make it that. <laughs> it's such a good name for a fart but it is sports. sports. 
Yes, it applies to both basketball and baseball, a backdoor cutter. In baseball, it is a type of pitch where like the ball begins outside the strike zone and then kind of crosses <laughs> in, you know, backdoor cutter. Woo, that was a backdoor cutter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to think of some of these the same way because, yeah, you hear that a lot in basketball, a backdoor cut or backdoor cutter. Wow. Yep. Colin, your last term. Drop the lunchbox. <laughs> Drop the lunchbox. Drop the lunchbox. Drop the lunchbox. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm gonna go sports again. I'm, I'm gonna guess it's like slang for like dropping the football or something like that. It is Australian slang for farts. Ah, for dang farts. it! Farts. I know it sounds so much like a sports term. Drop the lunchbox. <laughs> drop the like lunch a, like box. a, like a bad fumble, you mm-hmm, know, or something. Mm-hmm. But drop the lunchbox. Australian slang for. <laughs> Farts. Sounds like kind of from the same place as like air biscuit. Basically. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is coming back. Yep. Here, here's a list of of sport lingo terms I did not use. That totally sounds like fart to me. <laughs> whiff, a whiff, a whiff. Yeah. Air raid offense. <laughs> Flood the zone. <laughs> <laughs> another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. We have one last segment. <laughs> Colin. Yeah. I got just a little short something to share yeah. with you all here. You're going to float us an air biscuit? I'm going <laughs> to flood the zone. As you guys know, uh, I was in Utah recently camping. It wouldn't be a post-summer break Good Job Brain show if I didn't manage to find a way to sneak that in somehow. While we were on this trip, my camping partner and I, uh, we were doing a lot of Jeep trails, really rocky, really bumpy, up and down. It was a lot of fun. Maybe ironically, on the lowest rated, ostensibly the easiest trail out of all the trails we rode on that entire uh, week that we were in Utah. We got a flat tire. I'm not going to say it was like panic inducing, but it was definitely like, oh man, what are we going to do? Because we were out, you know, on a four by four trail out, not, not far from Moab. We weren't far from civilization. We were never worried at any point, but it was the middle of a 95 degree day. Oh my God. What do you do? The, the the short story is you you stop and you change the tire in the middle of a trail and you just do the best you can. I mean, luckily for us, we were on a relatively flat portion of the of the four by four trail. It would have really, really sucked if we had been on an uphill or oh, yeah, a, a yeah, downhill yeah. Oh, of a steep angle. We were in the Jeep. We were riding along and uh, my friend Justin was driving. Uh, we hear a little beep and he says, hey, Jeep says our tires low pressure. And we're both kind of like, huh? Like, oh, yeah, 
okay, all right, well, let's just keep going. Keep an eye on that. <laughs> keep an eye on that for sure. Because um, that would be a real pain if we had to stop and change a tire, wouldn't it? Ha ha ha. So we go about 10 minutes later, it's beeping again. He's like, hey, uh-oh. And it gives us a little number, you know, it's uh, tells us what the three regular tires were somewhere, you know, around maybe 30 PSI. And it was telling us that this problematic tire was dropping below 20 and getting increasingly lower. So we pulled the Jeep over, parked the Jeep so we were so we could change the tire out of the sun, put the new one on, started driving again. And as we were driving, you know, it was safe enough to kind of say, how does it know that the tire was losing pressure? How does it know that the Jeep could tell us on the dashboard, hey, this tire is losing pressure? And in fact, it was. So I'm going to turn that question over to you guys. How does the car know when a tire is losing pressure? And Mm. I will tell you that if you have bought a new car in the US anytime after 2008, your car has a low tire pressure monitoring system. Okay. But so is there like is there like a gyroscopy type thing that's seeing like how flat is the car, and if the, mm. if the car starts to tilt towards one end like this, it's like oh, well, I like it. okay. the only reason it will be lowering down is if the tire is losing air pressure and the tire is flattening out subtly. So it's a Wii remote, basically. I, I bet it's not something that's super advanced. A little microphone that is listening for like a sound that's good i like that (laughs) that. Mm. there are basically broadly speaking two two ways that your car can tell if you've got a low pressure tire there's the direct method all right now this this method of direct monitoring you will generally find on higher end luxury brands okay Mm -hmm. uh it does in fact directly measure the pressure of the tire inside each tire. And a common way that this works is incorporated into the little valve where you put in them is a little pressure sensor and a little radio transmitter. And it directly responds. Yes, this is now, this is why you tend to see this on the more expensive higher end brands, sends a little radio signal to the car's CPU. Again, virtually every car these days has a computer on board, at least one. And it tells the car, hey, tell the driver that this this tire is exactly this much low. It's exactly 4 PSI low. Yeah, there's a little battery basically that has to power each little radio transmitter. And you know, when the battery dies, you, it's not easy to replace the whole assembly then there is indirect method which is the most common way of monitoring tire pressure and this to me is kind of the cooler way among the ways of doing this are using kind of existing data sensors in the car to deduce the tire's pressure. And most of these methods revolve around the the idea, the principle that a tire that is underinflated will have a slightly smaller radius. Yeah. And therefore, it will make more turns per second at a given speed. So that is one way. So cars that might already have systems like anti-lock braking or stability control, skid control, those kind of things, which already are set up to monitor, yeah, rotations on the given tire, they can sort of use that information to say, like, oh, wait, you're driving straight, but this tire is making 
more, more rotations. Turns. Yeah. Now, what's important to note here is that in this kind of system, it does not actually know what the pressure is on your tires. So if you've got this kind of system, I have it in my car. If you ever have like a, a, a like a significant change, you've got to go in and tell the car, okay, I'm reset now. I'm back at normal. And then it just monitors them relative to one another. This is why you have to manually reset it because it's not smart enough to know. It's also why and we discovered this when we put on the brand new or the spare tire anyway, we had to drive for about 15 minutes or so before it had enough data that it could say like, oh. Oh, okay, yep, this tire's good again. We just kind of had to trust that we put the new tire on and it would still tell us it was low for, you know, a good number of miles. So mm. it all worked out. All right. Why did I say 2008? Why was I so sure that if you bought a car after 2008 that you would have what is called a tire pressure monitoring system? That is because 2008 was the year that the Transportation Recall Enhancement Accountability and Documentation Act, also known as the TRED Act. Oh, the TRED Act. Went into full force. <laughs> yes, the Tread Act. You know, you know, Congress. They work so hard. They yeah. love those. They, they work backward, yeah. right? They all right. Okay, we got to call this thing the Tread Act. What is that going to stand for, right? <laughs> um, so the Tread, the Tread Act uh, was signed into law by President Bill Clinton in the year two thousand. Uh, it was a more or less a direct response to. You guys may remember this. This was dark, but the the Ford and Firestone rollover and higher controversy of the late 90s. This was a big news story. Mm. There were numerous fatalities and serious injuries oh. related to sort of the combination of some very specific Fords, Explorers, and some very specific Firestone tires. Uh, I will give you the very short version. Ford realized and discovered that their uh, Explorers it, were prone to rolling over and tipping. So one of the ways they countered this was by reducing the recommended tire pressure on the Explorer ah. to a safe level, ostensibly. But when you reduce the pressure on a tire, it does, in fact, make the tire generally wear faster. There's more friction yeah. um, on tires that are predisposed to tread separation, which is basically where the, the layers of the tire come apart. Okay, uh, and you lose control. If you have underinflated or low inflated tires, that's a lot more likely to happen. And that is what happened in this very regrettable set of circumstances. So Congress was pressed into action. You got to change this. You got to figure this. Both Ford and Firestone had uh, a lot of changes they had to make. This uh, legislation, uh, it did a number of things. One required auto, auto manufacturers to tell the government that if they had any safety recalls, that important safety recalls, mm. if they were if they became aware of any defects or injuries caused by defects related to their products, uh, and then kind of created a criminal liability if they didn't do these kind of things. Um, what? So before then, they didn't you, have to do any of that? Before then, the laws around what auto manufacturers and uh, had to report to the government were not nearly as stringent. That's right. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Like a lot of things in our country's history, a lot of regulations, a lot of which came made us safer came after play after some horrific, you know, tragedy or series of catastrophes. Yeah. So 
accompanying the TREAD Act, right? So part of this whole wave of legislation that was passed extremely quickly um, was Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standard 138, which specifically mandated tire pressure monitoring systems be installed on all passenger cars, trucks, buses under basically 10,000 pounds. So basically, basically every common passenger car and truck and bus that you would see out on the road. And they gave them a few years to sort of phase Mm, this in, which is one reason why some of the earlier systems were the indirect because the auto manufacturers are like, all right, what systems do do we already have that we can kind of piggyback off of? Um, (laughs) By the end of 2007, going into 2008, 100% 100% of new wow. passenger vehicles sold in the U.S. were required to have a TPMS system of some type installed. In fact, it, it is specifically obligated by Congress. It must warn drivers of significantly underinflated tires and then also say like, you know, hey, dummy, this is dangerous, so you should mm. fix it. And um, <laughs> I mean, look, thank thank goodness for, for me that it worked uh, at a very flat point on a relatively uh, sparsely populated trail out in the Utah backcountry. But yeah, I learned a lot about how my car works from this little event and how to avoid flat tires because they suck no matter where you are. All right. And that's our show. Thank you guys for joining me and thank you guys listeners for listening in. Hope you learned stuff about everything bagel flavored Pop-Tarts. Flat estates, flatulence words, flat tires, and eating flat gold leaf. You can find us on all major podcast apps and on our website, goodjobbrain.com. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other shows like The History of Everything, Nature Nerds, and History Tea Time. And we'll see you next week. Bye. all trivia nerds Brittany here and i host the family road trip trivia podcast with my best friend meredith is your next car ride looking like a snooze fest (laughs) we've got the cure three rounds of awesome trivia every week harry potter disney science sports you name it no more silent car troubles the family road trip trivia podcast connect laugh and learn with your kids big and small New episodes every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast.